Welcome to Ramplify, a student-centered, career-focused podcast hosted by the Center for Career Equity, Development, and Success at Suffolk University. This podcast is used to highlight the resources offered in the university's career center while amplifying the voices of everyone who contributes to our vibrant community. Research shows that students who are able to engage in experiential learning during their undergrad experience are more than 60% likely to land a job within six months of graduation. I recently spoke with Palin Bison and Russell Sadel from our Sawyer Business School to learn more about the ways SBS plans to bring careers into the classroom through experiences like immersive consulting and off-campus internships. In fall 2023, SBS will unveil a new curriculum supporting Suffolk's career readiness initiatives. To learn more about the upcoming changes and why they're so exciting, I recently spoke with Palin and Russell in a two-on-one interview. My name is Anders Holtcroft. I'm the Associate Director of Marketing for the Center for Career Equity, Development, and Success. And I am very excited to have this conversation today as we continue our conversation about the changes that the Sawyer Business School is undergoing. I'm joined today by two very special guests. We'll let them introduce themselves. This is Peyton Bison. I'm happy to be in the session. I'm the new Associate Dean of Undergraduate Program in the Sawyer Business School. I started in July 2022. So I just finished my honeymoon in the fall. I worked with Russell in the curriculum revision starting, I think, November 2021. Awesome. And Russell? I'm Russell Seidel. I'm an associate professor of strategy and international business here at the Sawyer Business School. Been at Sawyer since 2013, Canadian originally, so I uh, grew up in Ottawa, did my schooling in Montreal and now here in Boston and happy to be here and happy to join the podcast. You've made reference to this, but I know you have both been involved in some curriculum review and I definitely want to get into that in a moment as we think about the future of SBS. But first, I want to get into both of you and sort of your backgrounds as educators. Obviously, you both bring a unique perspective into the field of business education. I was wondering if we could take a second to just talk about your personal approach to teaching and sort of your philosophy in the classroom. So I am still an associate professor of marketing in the Department of Marketing, and I still teach at the graduate level. I'm originally from Turkey. I started teaching when I was in graduate program in Turkey. I was a master's student, and I was teaching principles of marketing in general, and I was a student myself at that time. But looking back, and looking now, I'm still seeing myself as a student. I think that keeps me going. So when I go to classroom, generally ask my students to refer to me by my name and it comes organically because I don't want the level of you're a student, I'm an instructor. I don't want that positioning. I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to feel so relaxed to think and share what they think with others. I don't want them to try to find the right thing to say. Most of the time, it puts certain number of students aside because they're afraid to talk or they don't want to be criticized or they don't want to have the self-awareness in front of others. So my teaching philosophy is be a student yourself first. If you're a teacher, be a student. And it keeps that curiosity, the flame of curiosity always on. And if students see your enthusiasm, they get enthusiastic because it is contagious. And also that feeling free to fail feeling free to make mistakes, feeling free to say whatever comes to your mind, even if it doesn't go through that filter of, I want the instructor to hear what I say. 
that when the, you take the filter out, it's a really enjoyable session you go through. It's 75 minutes or 150 minutes, doesn't matter. So my teaching philosophy is that freedom of teaching and freedom of being a student and freedom of sharing your thoughts with others. So that comfort when you take the anxiety out and stress out, it's a really, really enjoyable moment and it retains. It's memorable. And I've been practicing that since 2000, 23 years now, and it never failed to surprise me what comes out of students. Yeah, so I, I think what Palin's saying really resonates with me too, the idea of connection and the fear of failure and overcoming that in the classroom. I think that's so important as an instructor. So I'm a strategy professor, so I think a lot in terms of frameworks and I'm probably hanging out with marketing people too much. So I kind of also <laughs> thinking in terms of how these types of things tie together. But when I think of my teaching philosophy, I'd never really kind of thought about it more deeply than this, but the way I would kind of characterize it is almost like three E's type of approach. So kind of engagement, experiential education, and empathy. And the idea of engaging with students, I think it's kind of first and foremost in my mind, you, whatever you can do to kind of draw them out to get them resonating with the material that you're trying to teach them, creating that type of connection in the classroom, I think it's so important just as a first salvo towards getting the learning process activated. So looking for ways to engage students more actively right from the get-go, I think is, has been so important to my approach in, in terms of how I kind of think of myself as an educator and try to approach the classroom. And then experiential learning, I think we'll talk about this a little bit because it's really one of the core aspects of our curriculum revision, the idea of giving students the opportunity to kind of practice with concepts, to apply them, to figure out what the real world implications of the frameworks or the theories that we're trying to teach them really are, especially in the business school context. I think it's so important to give them that opportunity to really learn experientially. And the third is just this idea of empathy, realizing that students, we encourage them to bring their whole selves to the classroom, but they also have lives independently of being students. They have work, they have family obligations. Sometimes they're going through personal issues or crises as we kind of experienced during COVID and beyond. So trying to meet them where they are to understand that they're not always going to be fully engaged in the classroom material, but there has to be some kind of accommodation made for them to get them to, to kind of bring their best selves into the classroom. When I think about my philosophy as an educator, I try to wrap it around those three E elements. When I hear both of you speak to your philosophies, it sounds very much in alignment with Suffolk and the ideals that we have for how we work with students, meeting our students where they are so that they can excel the new heights. And I think it's great to hear that in both of your responses. And as we think about the future of this curriculum, there are some core elements of that in here too. We've been talking around this, but let's talk explicitly about it. The undergraduate BSBA program is going under some changes. And so we've been informed that there will be some new core curriculum debuting this fall. I was wondering if you could both maybe tell us a bit more about Boston Depth Global Breadth Knowledge into Action. Russell and I were members of the task force, the curriculum revision task force. We were asked to co-chair the task force in November. So both of us never did this before. So we sat and we were lucky because both Russell and I have this very similar philosophy in education, how we see students, how much we love Suffolk, how much we embrace Suffolk's philosophy of approaching the students the diversity of it, where Suffolk is all. So we were very well aligned with where we'll start. And both of us said, okay, this will be a process. And I think having that strategy focused helped us to create a roadmap. Like, okay, what does the next one year look like? 
and we said well Russell it's maybe a really tough process because there are so many different divisions so many different types of people and you will have to have a conversation with the faculty so let's have something neutral to be our guide which was the data so let data guide us in this process and we started actually looking externally what is happening in the world and we saw that higher education is going through a systemic shift that it called technology the pace of change and higher ed was slow to catch up with that and the career readiness not just Suffolk but higher ed in general that employers are frustration that by the time student graduates that it passed the new thing came and how can you make sure that students are ready that we don't need to retrain them so we did the with it surveys with employers, alumni, with the dean's council, with the advisory board people, and we found that their frustration overlap, which was that your students are not that ready. They know something, but it's not what I want. Let's go deeper. So we did our research, and the findings were consistent across the board. We looked at our curriculum. We said, what does the world want? What does our curriculum look like? And with the gap analysis, we found lots of issues with the curriculum. And one thing was that we don't take advantage of where we are, which is Boston, which is a global melting point and location. There are so many companies that are global scale and scope wise, but they're local to us. We made that our motto, Boston Death, Global Breath. We will be present, not uh, physically we are located here, we are spiritually. We need to be located spiritually in Boston and get closer to our ecosystem. And our curriculum has to take advantage of that. That was the first. And second thing was what Russell mentioned, experiential learning. Now everybody says experiential learning. Companies want students to be ready to start. They need to know how to do things. I like them knowing things, but I like them also knowing how to do things. Our courses will have a strong, robust theoretical foundation, but has to have the hands-on experience. So how will we start with that? Actually, Russ and I work really, really well together. It made it so much easy to bounce ideas. That synergy kept us going. So what we did, it also coincided with my philosophy of life and the teachings that I don't know everything. So we need to ask around. So we included faculty in the process. We contacted them frequently. We asked them questions, they responded, and we took their response into account. And we were revising. So every voice was heard and every voice was responded in the curriculum. And we made a really tight two years in the current curriculum. It starts with hands-on, it ends with hands-on. And we told the faculty, like, okay, you have all majors, you're all departments. What at the beginning, we will prepare them, we will make them confident, we will make them hungry for learning. They will be excited to know about their major, but we'll give them the business foundations. That's how we started. So we had a really strong jump start in the first three semesters. We start with business foundation, continue with really strong team, skill-based, design thinking focused course, and then Russell will be teaching our new flagship course in the fall, tackling with global challenges, which is that world is going through significant issues, climate change, poverty, income inequality, gender gap, equality in general. So how can business school take that into account business without further harm? With the comprehensive research that there is no such thing in the United States. Graduate level, they respond to that need with graduate level courses, but undergrad, it's nowhere to be found. We are basically one of the first to take that concept and integrate in the curriculum. Russ and I are working on it. Russell, Jody Dechen, 
and me are the designers of that foundation and the Russell will be the executor of that mm-hmm. course in the fall. We were excited to design the curriculum in a way that responds to 2023, 2030, the time period. In the next five years, what does the world? And we found out that we can't wait three, four years to revise the curriculum. We need to cur- revise the curriculum every year because it's too fast everything is so fast so i don't want to steal the thunder more and i will leave the juicy stuff to (laughs) russell palin's kind of perfectly encapsulated that idea of the approach that's motivated our reframing or kind of revision of the curriculum that idea of boston depth and global breadth it sounds very kind of pithy and there's a marketing hook to it clearly but it's also foundational to the way that we're approaching the curriculum because we've said all along and this is something that we believe at suffolk and at sbs in particular that one of the key strengths of the university is just our complete embeddedness in the Boston social and business community. You can't drop a pin any closer to the center of the city and not land on Suffolk. So, I mean, we have all these connections in the political sense, in the economic sense, in the social sense to Boston as a broader urban environment. So why not continue to leverage those? But at the same time, we want to kind of inculcate in our students the idea that they are global citizens, that the things that they're looking at have implications beyond just Boston or the local communities that have worldwide consequences. And that course that Palin was mentioning, that tackling global challenges, tackling wicked global problems, really encapsulates that a lot too because what we're going to be asking students to do as part of that course is really think through some foundational challenges that society's facing poverty north-south issues climate change inequality but also think about how at a local level in a more practical sense students and stakeholders and organizations can work together to try to if not solve at least ameliorate or kind of uh, alleviate some of these issues it's kind of that tension between this notion of acting thinking globally and acting locally, but it's put together in a very practical way. It's involving students in some of these solutions. It's getting them and challenging them to think conceptually and practically about these solutions. And it's a heavy lift. It's meant to be, but it's something that we think students with the proper preparation will absolutely be up for. We think that they'll respond well to that challenge. We think that they're already kind of thinking through these issues. All of our research kind of suggests that younger generations are much more attuned to these types of global issues than maybe past generations would have been. So it behooves us to really kind of give them an opportunity to kind of think through these things through their undergraduate education, think through how they can start to be solutions to these issues, start to address them from a broader stakeholder perspective. The flagship experience will give them a chance to do that. But this is really something, again, that's foundational to the curriculum is thinking through not just the theories, not just the concepts, but how students can act in a way that they're helping to solve some of these problems and what our curriculum can do to kind of empower them to do so as well. Yeah, I mean, just to add, that course led us to design the first year in order for students to be able to cope with such a challenging course. What should we give them? The number one was the diversity of thoughts. Students should feel comfortable working with each other. So the current scenario is the current picture is that students feel comfortable with whoever is closer to them. If it's a student, a marketing student, they approach the marketing student. We want marketing students to work with finance students, entrepreneurship students to work with accounting students, which is not the general tendency. So we introduce a course in the second semester. It's, we call it the innovative teaming. It will teach students how to work, how to work in teams, but the team concept is changing now, the hybrid, the remote, the all diversity of people with bad backgrounds, how to resolve conflicts 
how to negotiate, how to work with people, even if you're not getting along, but still in a professional setting, and how can you get the best out of it. So our management department, management entrepreneurship department, co-designed this course. They will co-teach this course the first time. The syllabus is designed by two departments, and they will be doing management health entrepreneurship, teaching that course. And at the end of the course, there will be a design-a-thon. The all-day design-a-thon. Students will be given by a nonprofit organization a challenging problem. This is first-year students. Then these students will be taken to the course, tackling with the global wicked problem course. We will lift them up with a real client with a bigger problem. So I'm working with Boston Globe of how to reformulate the question of something climate related. And it will be difficult for the faculty to teach, but this is why we want to work with the champions first. In the first version, this is why Russell and other faculty, marketing faculty, will be teaching co-teaching this course as a pilot in the fall. And in 2024, we'll be fully launching the course as 20 sections. So next year, we'll be preparing us for that launch. And 24-25, it will be the first time we'll be exposing all business students to this course. But we are preparing them. I think that's a really important point that Palin's mentioning, the idea of the challenge that's presented, because it's going to be a challenging kind of revision for students, deliberately so. I mean, we're kind of moving them out of their comfort space. But also for faculty, it's going to be the same type of thing. Challenging faculty through some of these new courses to kind of think through concepts in maybe a different way than they're used to doing before, to kind of present them in a different way than they might have done before. But it's not a situation where we're saying, okay, here, we're going to throw all this at you and figure it out on your own. There are a lot of resources that we're trying to kind of leverage for faculty, for students, for our various stakeholders, so that it's a more kind of intelligent revision. And it's not a situation where we just kind of break things and leave others to pull them together. We try to restructure them, but in a way that takes advantage, again, of the expertise that we have, takes advantage of the passion that we see in our faculty and our students, and really gives them a sense for, this is a way forward. Here's some of the building blocks. Now stretch yourself out to that new challenge, but we're not going to leave you to do it on your own. We're going to give you and hopefully present you with the resources, the expertise, and the kind of foundational blocks that you need to try to get there as well. Congratulations to you both. I am excited hearing about this. I think it addresses a lot of the things that we hear from our employer partners and from different bodies of research that we've read from organizations like the National Association of Colleges and Employers. I hear a resolution to things like the skills gap that employers are noticing with students, recent graduates. I hear walls being broken down between the classroom and the broader community around us. I think as our community continues to internationalize, and the community around us continues to globalize, this is an awesome route for us to be going. Again, it gets me very excited. So congratulations to you both. I think some of these other questions we have about the curriculum just expand on things that you've already mentioned. The next question I have is, how does this sort of innovate within business education? I hear in both of your responses that this is very much needed in today's climate. As you coded the skill gap, so higher education, when you look at reports, higher education peaked at 2008, the value of higher education. And still the college graduates were getting the high pay. After 2008, which is a big recession, higher education started being questioned too costly, too expensive. Who go? Sometimes that certain type of people go. If you cannot afford, you don't go. Parents and prospective students started thinking, like, is it worth going to university? And when the high tech took over and they started to hire people with high school degrees, as long as you know how to coach, I don't need you to go through for your education because they needed people. They were growing exponentially. When COVID hit, 
we saw the majority of the college graduates worked remote. And if the person was a high school graduate, they ended up actually physically showing up. So we saw that difference that there was college graduates and non-college graduates. But in the meantime, the tech companies which shape the landscape, they don't have the patience to wait for four years for people to gain skills. So they said, if you have the Corsair XYZ, we will take it. And companies start to do deals with the companies like Udemy and Coursera. So when the value of fire is being questioned, you can't not innovate. You have to innovate. And what value can innovate, what those platforms cannot teach is the human touch. Human touch and how to do things. Yes, you can go the data camp and learn Python, but however you practice it, however you practice it. We have an immense network of alumni and we have an immense network of ecosystem in Boston, the biotech, the high tech. There are clusters, industry clusters in Boston. And we said, you know what? We have to make the curriculum so organically integrated and the DNA of the curriculum should reflect and resonate that practice. They are immense learning in a very immersive way of how to do something. So the Business Foundation, of course, 18 years old gets into the SPS 101. And they don't know anything about Boston, the college and the business and all that. And the curriculum design with the empathy that you're in Boston, the curriculum will show you that. So we are working with a local client that wants to go global and will have a case ready for freshman students to be able to work on it. So we are redesigning the curriculum in a way that students will be slowly brewed for that case. And they will have this alumni that are client to brief them, talk with them, listen to them, and he will be bringing his executive team as judges at the end. So this is real. You're not working on a simulation. You're not working on a textbook problem. You're working on a real problem from our alumni who wants to give back and who wants to show once upon a time he was a student here. Now he's this fully equipped businessman and wants to work with this new generation. And he himself said, I want to learn from the 18 years olds. They're very agile and they can switch and they don't have this loyalty for certain ideas. They don't feel that remorse of letting go of an idea. They are more upbeat in that sense. So he is excited and he will be providing us with 20-25 employees of his own at the end of the semester to listen all day of what this new generation of students think about his problem. This is an 18 years old. And then when they come to the next semester, you can't do that in Coursera. You can't do that in Udemy. You can't do that in the bootcamp. Our curriculum has to be so uniquely human that in a time that ChatGPT is becoming much more popular and it's becoming more humanistic in its approach, our curriculum should reflect what is not replicable. It has to be so distinct. It has to be so hard to replicate. And this is what Russell and I strive for. And the implementation will start in the fall with pilots for the old student, but the new student will get the new curriculum. And we have the measurement tools are getting ready to see this is what we intend to do with our curriculum when we're designing. Are we really doing what we're supposed to do? So we will be fine-tuning intent and action. We'll constantly look at the gap. And if the action is not meeting the intent, why? 
learn and fix. So this is how we can't wait any longer. This is the new motto. If the Boston Dynamics is making robots that are so agile physically and ChatGPT is using human conversations to learn about the linguistic of the human conversation, we have to dig deeper of what makes us human and embed that in the curriculum. This is what we call the innovation. That's the new curriculum's essence, the DNA of the new curriculum is how to bring the human aspect more and more in a place where everything is being automated. As Palin's alluding to some of the challenges that we're seeing, it's simultaneously obviously a kind of a crisis, but also an opportunity because when we looked at the data that Palin was kind of talking about that informed our process, what employers are asking of our graduates, looking at what our alumni say, looking at what our students are looking for, there's never any question that there's some fundamental changes that would need to be made to the curriculum. There's a lot that is really great in our curriculum, but there's a lot that needed to be either restructured or kind of rethought of in terms of sequencing, but there was never any question that innovation would have to be central to that curricular change because AI and the demographic challenges that we're seeing and coming out of COVID and the preferences that students have for either online or in-person learning and how to kind of thread that needle such that you're kind of responding to as many of those heterogeneous preferences as possible. These are all huge challenges. And looking at that data, I don't think Palin and I ever thought to ourselves, well, it's just a couple of tweaks here and there are going to kind of address that. It was freeing in a certain sense to see some of those challenges because that gave us really the scope to rethink the curriculum. And we knew that that was going to be something that we had to do. I think to their credit, a lot of our faculty realized that too. And there were a lot of people who were kind of pushing us forward and encouraging us in that initiative because they saw the writing on the wall just the same way that we did. There are fundamental changes to higher ed that we need to innovate to get in front of. And if we don't do it now, some of those things are just going to sweep us aside. Not just Suffolk, but a lot of higher education institutions are wrestling with those same issues. So we were fortunate to a certain extent that we were able to redesign the curriculum now because it's clear that we're right at the front end of this huge wave of changes socially, technologically, demographically from an education perspective in general. And I think that we're right at the point where we could make some significant changes to keep us ahead of those things to really demonstrate our value to current and future students, to employers, to alumni, and really to give something that's going to build off the really key building blocks of our curriculum while still advancing it in a way that keeps it relevant. That innovation, there was never any question, I don't think, that we would have to innovate because we could see that the data was clearly pointing us in that direction. So that gave us a lot of ambition and a lot of scope to make some of those changes too. Absolutely. And I think as you both alluded, this whole design was firmly rooted in data-driven decisions. And everything you have said is consistent with what we hear within the Career Center and with what we hear even in our interviews on the show. Again, very, very exciting. You had both alluded to there are some experiences that students will receive as a part of this redesign and particularly those human experiences. I think it really fits into that larger picture of what we call career readiness. And it's not just having the skills, but also knowing how to implement those and work within a team setting. Just speaking to that a little more, what are some of the ways that you see this curriculum overlapping with the university's career readiness initiatives that are already ongoing? Well, we had in the old curriculum, we had this 4-1 career course were meant for students 
outside the curriculum that how to write resumes, how to write a cover letter, how to look for an internship, but they didn't meet the intent. And it seems like students seeing it as a course you need to pass, but it has to be more organic. It shouldn't feel like I'm taking it to pass. It has to be in the curriculum. So we said bye bye 200, 300, 400. We have this first SPS 100, the career course. It is for students to get to this. We are working with the career center to redesign that course and re-teach that course and take advantage of our new facility, career center, more holistically. Students and the courses itself that will prepare students for their majors. This is why we decided to make a heavy front end in the curriculum. They will get this experiential learning, business foundations, team, business writing, oral communication, very heavy, intense load in the first three semesters. For those are the skills that our employers want. They want students to be able to present themselves professionally, being composed, knowing what to do, how to write, how to present something in written or physically. How to work in team, how to work with people, how to be mature in tough times, how to be agile to recover from rough times. You start a day well, and in the middle of the day, you got this news that, oh, there is a new player in the marketplace, and now change. This is what I meant by loyal to your ideas. You should be able to dump them if they are not relevant anymore. You cannot have this affiliation with the ideas in a way that you're too attached to them. It's not the world we live in now. You should be able to bounce back. And this is what the employers, what the interviews we have done, show that I want people just being ready at that moment. We decided to have those courses in a way that they are not simulating life. They're living life. So in the middle of the semester, our client will get a news and they will pivot. It's like, okay, can you reflect this, please? And the question is not relevant anymore. Can you work on this now after fifth or sixth week? The faculty has to be agile first. This is why Jody and I are working on how to get the faculty ready for this kind of teaching, this new kind of teaching. We can't take the textbook and teach the students slices this and slice that. No, it's not like that. Other thing is that what we want to accomplish in the curriculum is that if you're a marketing student or if you're a finance student, you should be able to work in any company. The today's, if you're a digital marketing specialist, as a student who graduated, should be able to work in a biotech industry, not just advertising agency. So the curriculum makes agnostic that the industry is an agnostic. You should be able to import your skills into that new setting. And this is why you were working in biotech, things happen, like Microsoft is laying off 11,000 people. Wayfair just laid off more than 1,750. 1,150 people were unemployed. And this is the third wave in Wayfair. And those people now, the tech workers, are looking for jobs. And the ones who are able to transport their skills into a new industry will be able to find jobs more quickly. And we want our students to have that agnostic feeling. I'm not just working in the auto industry. When auto industry is going through rough time, you should be able to go and work in another industry with your professional skills, with the skills that are relevant in every industry, which is can you work with people? Can you talk? Can you present? Can you be brief? Can you set up a meeting? Can you lead a meeting? Do you have an open path in the next two years? Where do you see yourself? You should be able to constantly think of that multitasking ability. We wanted to do that in the new curriculum, with the courses. This is why we are working with the faculty who want to do this, not who are forced to do that. So we want the rest of the faculty to get so jealous of not being the first. 
the first blindfold girl. So Russell, I asked faculty who wants to teach the tackling the wicked problem course. And like, oh, I want to teach this course, but I don't want to be first. And Russell's like, I'll go first. Orca said, I'll go first. I was like, you go first. And I know they will do a tremendous job. And the rest of the faculty will want to do it, but we will have a waiting list for the people who want to teach that course. We'll make it hard to teach that course. Because that appetite is the one that makes students hungry. If the instructor wants it, leaves it, the student sees it. And we want that excitement in the classroom. I think you can kind of hear the passion that we both feel for this new curriculum. I mean, it can't help but come out because we really see the opportunity to continue to really build something great at SBS and continue to build something great. So to your point on career readiness, I think that the good news, I think, when we think about this curriculum revision is that no matter what you think of in terms of what employers are looking for in terms of the skill sets of our graduates. So critical thinking abilities, holistic thinking, as Palin was mentioning, being able to think through not just your own domain expertise, but how you partner with people from different areas and different perspectives, an international or global mindset, creativity, all of those things we've been very fixated, deliberately so, in terms of making sure that those things come out prominently in the curriculum. Again, we're the beneficiaries to a certain extent of fortuitous timing in the sense that if we tried to develop all those things and continue to move them forward in the curriculum, but there was no support at the other end through the career center and career development, then those things would probably go lacking. But of course, now with all the great work that's being done, career center, career services, new location, the high visibility of that location, the outreach that's being done, all of those things synergistically, I think will work together with the curriculum changes that we're making so that the skills that we develop in our graduates will find their footing through the alumni, through the career services, through the employers, and that will create hopefully this kind of virtuous circle where people hire our graduates, they realize that they're completely ready for this new world of work, they're dealing with these challenges, they're thoughtful about how to try to resolve them, and then they always come back because they're looking for the types of graduate that we're bringing to the market. And that continues to attract more students who kind of see the value in our brand and our teaching as well. I wouldn't be so proud to say that that's the way that we first started thinking about it. It's like, this is the way that it's going to look at at the end, but this unfolded yeah. as we we're going through the process. We're the beneficiaries of having that time in there, having all those things aligned, having those various stakeholders who are all pulling in the same direction. So we're not always working at cross purposes. We all feel that we're pulling together for a vision that's common, I think, to all the stakeholders at Suffolk and at SBS. Our first year is designed in a way that students start thinking about the internship in that first summer because they only have, what, three summers to take advantage of if they don't take it during the year. And many of our students, we have a very diverse population. We have low-income students who have to work to pay their tuition or the housing or all that. So the curriculum we had in mind that to create equity for those students. Some students are, they can afford, and some students cannot afford. And this is why we can't do this alone. As Russell put it so nicely, that we have to work with the functions we already have. Student success, career center, division of student success is magnificent in their ability to help students. So that our curriculum will take advantage of that. It's not just faculty teach courses. We have to act as a university. Faculty is one group of people and advising center is another. Advising is tremendously important for students. They come, they think they know something, they take the first course, they figure out it's not what they want. They want to change, but they're so afraid. Are they making a mistake? And we have coaching services. We have advising. They can create scenarios and they work with the faculty. We are living in an era no one can do it alone. We have to work together. And what we saw when we told the faculty that we are so acting isolated, 
No one works together. The courses, they don't know what each other are doing. They have a prerequisite, but they don't know what the prerequisite does. They teach the same thing again, and students are complaining. I've seen this before. But since there is no this inner conversations, and we said we are opening it up. We are living in a moment of crowdsourcing, and also do more with less. So we have the resources, but they are not used. So the new curriculum is taking advantage of that. So we have a big mission ahead of us, implementation, but we are very confident because the university is very strong and the curriculum will be the face of the university in that sense, uh, the solar business school. That's fantastic. I think it really does strike at achieving a big picture experience of Suffolk and creating a more united experience for our students. You have a lot ahead of you, but it is very, very exciting. Looking ahead, in the next five years, what are you both most excited for when it comes to the Sawyer Business School and some of these changes that are being implemented? The one thing is the alignment. So there is a university, there are schools, there are Sawyer Business Schools, the Arts and Sciences, Law School. So there is a university level strategy, there is a solar business school level strategy, and each department has their own, the alignment is the most important thing. And the next five years is a long time, like what happens in just one year. And so we are seeing in one, two years time periods and see what happens in the next two years and let's revise it again. What is happening is we are seeing a convergence in technology and business as being more integrated. So the higher education should reflect that. Technology, you can't be afraid of it. You can't not see it. You have to live with it. The friendship with technology, friendship with radical changes, the being the having the comfort and having the courage to able to integrate the change when it is needed. The we message that to the faculty, and I think it was interesting that when we were going for a vote, faculty has to vote and they have to say yes. No one objected it, and we were surprised. I think we exhausted them because over the last one year, because we integrated them, we heard them, we responded to their concerns. I think that's the new saying. You can't just do it and share it. You have to do it with them. And this way, they know it's transparency, it's honesty, it's trust-based. We see technology as one thing. It seems like technology getting smarter and smarter every day. Well, humans are have to be united and remember what it is to be like human again. And what makes us work together what is the best way to surf that's that call it alumni call it employer call students call each other we have to serve each other too i think there's a very human face to this new initiative i think the next five years i'm seeing that we will reflect the human side of higher ed more and more and hopefully we will be able to work together but as i said we were so pleasantly surprised how good suffolk is and we work with the solar business school faculty mostly in this process, but we have a treasure in our hands. And it was good to remind them of that. And I think this is why no one objected at the end. I'm super excited for where I think Suffolk University and Sawyer Business School will be in the next five years. I mean, we talk about this tagline and kind of the underpinning idea of Boston depth and global breadth. We want our students to think globally, but there's no getting around the fact that we're embedded in Boston. And when you think about Boston, it's an active environment for higher ed. There are a lot of very strong competitors in this market. But one thing that sustained me, and I don't want to speak for 
Palin, but I'm sure she had this in the back of her mind too when we're going through all the detailed data gathering and reframing of the curriculum. One thing that sustained me through the process was the idea that if we do this the right way, if we implement it the right way, if we measure it the right way, as Palin's uh, describing, if we really get it off the ground in the next five years, there's no reason why we shouldn't be mentioned in the same breath as some of the other major universities in the Boston area. I think we're already kind of in that space. We're kind of climbing up that space. But I think in the next five years, we could be spoken of in the same breath as some of those other universities. We could be a school of choice much more so than we are now. We kind of punch above our weight to a certain extent. With some of the changes that we're making, the future is going to be super exciting for Sawyer and for Suffolk. It's not exclusively because of the curricular changes that we're making, of course. And that's one component, I think, of where we could be in the future. And so I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm excited for where we'll go with the curriculum redesign and where the school and where the university will be in the next five years. It'll be exciting times ahead for sure. Awesome. Well, with that, I want to thank you both for joining us this afternoon to share a bit about this. And again, I think it's very exciting. It's going to have a big impact on our students' experience and really enrich the ways that we engage with the Boston community. Thank you. Thank, thank you, thank you for the so opportunity. Much. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at suffolk.edu slash career center and follow us on social media at suffolk underscore careers.